this past week, we asked you to take up this daily challenge to, uh, to receive these, these prompts by text or email every morning and to just do something that gets you a little bit out of your comfort zone, that, that changes up your daily schedule and helps you identify a little bit more with the way that the rest of the world experiences life. And to do that in order to be able to be more connected with Christ and to be more connected with others. I hope that it was, I hope that this experience was a blessing to you because it covered that distance. It, it, it brought these things more out of the theory that, yeah, this happens to other people far away and, and, and in other countries and on the other side of the world and maybe it brings in the, you know, you know, kids that are kids that are going without food during the day. That's not something that's happening over on the other side of the planet. That's something that's happening here. It's something that happens right under our noses. Probably there's probably kids up at Doncaster right there that are dealing with that as a reality as people are making choices between rent and food. Do I keep my house or do I feed my kids? What what am I going to do? You know, th- these are and 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 that was really the whole idea was was to bring us out of kind of our our set way of looking at life and realizing that there are that there is a there is a, a greater <laughs> there's another reality going on around us that we need to identify with and that we need to be able to to express love for but the other piece of it is that that and what I hope this did for you but because I, I heard a lot of thankfulness in your in your tone and a lot of thankfulness in your reflections is that I hope that this sparked joy in you and and we're talking about joy today as a fruit of the spirit and and I listened to us this morning in class trying to get a grip on a definition of joy it's hard to do defining joy is 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 slippery sometimes for us and I think at least partly because there's a piece of joy that is an emotion, okay? There is a piece of joy that is, that is a feeling. You have felt joyful. You have been at a celebration and felt joy welling up inside of you. And yet there's also a piece of joy that has very, very little to do with our emotions or our circumstances or our surroundings, and that, I think, is what makes it difficult to define. I think sometimes we can almost, and, and, and there's also a lot of interplay. You know, we talk about happiness, and is happiness different than joy? We talk about contentment. Is contentment different than joy? Is there overlap between happiness and joy? Probably. Is there overlap between contentment and joy? I'd say definitely. But there's something very, very particular about joy that makes it, Different that makes it defy our expectations, um, and 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 I think sometimes we can talk more about what joy is not than what joy is. I think for starters, there's a realization that joy does not come if joy is a fruit of the spirit. Joy does not come as the result of a well-ordered set of circumstances. Okay, actually, I feel that joy is very, very little about control. Or maybe that joy is more about that point where we realize what we have zero control over. When we finally sort out what we don't have control over and what we do have control over and realize how very little of life 
we actually have control over and we stop kidding ourselves about that, I think sometimes that's the beginning of being able to experience joy as God intended. But I also think that joy is not this, this state of being untouchable or above it all or removed from it all. We were, in a, we were in a bookstore. I was wandering around a bookstore while we were in Colorado, and I've, I've, I've seen this book, but it really there was an entire like row of it. Okay, I can't actually repeat the title of the book because the last word isn't the last word. It's just a whole bunch of symbols. Maybe you've seen this book. It has an orange cover. Okay, and I don't know the author necessarily. I just saw the title, and it was The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fill-in-the-Blank. Okay, and I went, so that's positive self-talk these days, huh? All right. And there's, you know, and there's, you know, books about girl wash your face and, you know, like, or, you know, girl do your hair. I don't know, girl, whatever it is. It, It may be a series. I'm not sure. Okay, but there there seems to be this there seems to be this this new understanding of how to how to do life in response to getting overly anxious about everything that basically says just stop caring about any of it. Just kind of let it all just, you know, like you've got a Teflon coating on your soul and just kind of let it all just kind of, you know, slide off of you. Is that what joy is? Being untouchable, being unaffected, just kind of like living above it all and just being, you know, cool about it all. I don't think so. I don't, I don't believe that that is what joy is either. And I also don't think that joy is gritty determination, okay? I, like, I, this is something that I've watched even more in our society is people like, like believing that joy is forced cheerfulness, it is smiling like this. Okay, we actually, we have a set of pictures, and I will not name one of my children, but we have a set of pictures from our trip. And I took four of them in rapid succession. And you can watch the expression of one of my children who was not pleased at the situation that we were in at all. And we were like, no, you got to smile because we're with family and we're taking pictures. And you watch just kind of this, kind of slowly progress through the pictures because it's like, oh, you want me to smile? Fine, I'm going to smile. You know, and that's not what joy is either. Joy is not this gritty determination that we are going to, by gum, we are going to be cheerful here, people. Don't really care what's going on. Just muscle through it. Cheerful. Okay, that's not joy either. But, but, I mean, you see how quickly we can fall into those, those, those patterns of thinking, right? That joy, it, that joy is just, if I can get all of my externals set right, then I will achieve joy. If I can just keep everything from touching me, then I will feel joy. If I can just grit my teeth and smile through it, yeah, then I will find joy. In every instance... It makes joy something that we are trying to chase down. That we are trying to get a hold of, that we are trying to grab, that we are trying to possess. Okay? And here's the thing about joy. Here's what's ma- here is what makes joy so peculiar and so powerful in the life of a disciple. Is that it is not something that I can chase down and make my own. 
If it was, it would not be a fruit of the Spirit. Okay? I, like, I, using the example from John 15 here, okay? We, we have every, you know, fall and winter, you know, we back up to, we back up to Brent and Elise and, and Jordan and Cherie's property, right? And so, you know, they got blueberries, they've got vineyards, they got stuff, okay? So I see them out working, okay? I see them out working on stuff and we, we pass through their stuff. I have never, not once, passing through those vineyards, not passing through those blueberries, I have never heard those blueberry bushes going, Come on, let's grow some blueberries. Let's do this. Positive self-talk. I can grow blueberries. I am good enough. I am smart enough. And I can grow blueberries. I have never heard the vines go, if I can just increase my production of grapes. Come on, let's do this. What do I, what do I need to, what negative self-thinking do I need to get rid of so that I can grow better grapes? Okay, I, I never hear the frustrated blueberry bushes, you know, swearing because they can't grow blueberries well. Okay, like, you know, that's not how it works, right? That is not how fruit works. Fruit is the result of, fruit is the result of living in a proper environment for growth. Now, you go, okay, well, Travis, you were just saying, like, I can't order my set of circumstances in order to produce joy. Yes, you're right. You cannot do that. You know what you can do? You can do what Jesus says. Remain in me. Stick to me. Stick with me. You can remain in me. If joy is a fruit of the Spirit then joy is obtained when we have set ourselves in the soil of Christ, when we have surrendered to his way of thinking, when we are living in his way of doing, when we have, when we have situated ourselves in his life, and we are bringing up, as we are bringing up, and we misheard it, but when we are bringing the nutrients of Christ into us, when we are allowing him to feed us, when we are allowing him to water us, when we are allowing him to tend to us, even when, as Jesus says, we are allowing him to prune us down, which does not feel pleasant at all. But joy is not derived from pleasure. Joy is derived from an understanding of purpose. Did you hear that one? Joy has very, very little to do with pleasure and very, very much to do with purpose. That's why Jesus is not talking about the pleasant life. And if you think about when he's saying this to the disciples, when is this happening? This is happening right before his execution, humiliation, suffering, everything. And he says... I am telling you all of this so that my joy may be in you, which can go both ways, right? Both, both the, the, this joy that you cannot obtain for yourselves, that you cannot chase down, that it may be in you, but also Jesus is saying so that I can have joy in you. 
right? You know, you know what? You know what really makes Jesus joyful? You know what really creates joy in Jesus? You. You. When he sees you stuck to him, when he sees you doing things that are in, that are that, when he sees you doing the things and believing the things and living the way that he designed you to live, you bring him great joy. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Is that stuck way down deep in your soul so that when the circumstances of life are coming at you and trying to steal that understanding of joy, it is rooted deep down in you? David put it this way, I say to the Lord, apart from you, this is Psalm 16, I say to the Lord, apart from you I have no good thing. You alone are my portion and you alone are my cup. Therefore, my heart rejoices. My body rests secure because you will not abandon me. And he says, to the grave, to the shadowlands, to shale, the depths. You will not leave me in the depths. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. Joy is that space. It is not the pleasure that we feel when things go well. It is not some sort of spiritual denial or determination in the face of suffering or tragedy. Joy is the supernatural response, that contentment, that rest, that hopeful vision and action of a heart and life that is situated in the presence of God, that knows his pleasure and takes pleasure in him. It's about purpose. It's about purposefulness. And Jesus, you know, again, when, when we get to this part in John 15 where Jesus talks about, um, talks about, I've, I've told you all of these things about remaining in me and following my commandments and everything that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. He has just offered the cup of the covenant. Okay? And said, this is my blood, this is, you know, we, we're very familiar with this. We do this every Sunday, right? This, is, this, is my, this cup is the blood of my covenant given for you. And earlier in the Gospels, when, when, when James and John come up to him and start talking about position and power and authority and the kingdom and everything, Jesus looks at them and he goes, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And they go, yep. And we go, well, that's a... Dumb response. You don't even know what that cup's going to be. And instead of instead of Jesus just you know whatever, you have no idea what you're talking about. Jesus looks back at him. He says, "Yes, you will. You will drink my cup because this cup that we're going to take it isn't just about sorrow or pain of the cross. It is about the understanding of abundant, purposeful life." Jesus comes and he says, I, came, I have come that you may have abundant life. You may have life and have it to the full. Abundant life does not just mean the good stuff in life. 
It means that everything we experience in life, we experience to its fullest. Everything has its full meaning, its full purpose, its full position. Joy is deeply tied to us actually believing and receiving that understanding of the abundant life. That even when things are crumbling around me, even when I am in the depths of pain or sorrow or whatever, I am still situated in God's purpose. I am still my creators and sustainers, and he still delights in me. I'm going to go back to Henry now and again real quick. Okay, I went to him a couple of weeks ago, but I just want you to hear this really quick. This was from, this was from one of his meditations, and, he, and the title is The Gateway to Joy, and I just want you to hear this for a second. When we are dealing with joy, or when we are dealing with circumstances that don't necessarily emotionally make us feel very, very joyful, okay, when we're looking to embrace purpose, listen to this. The first response then to our brokenness is to face it squarely and befriend it. And this may seem quite unnatural to us. Our first most spontaneous response to pain and suffering is to avoid it, to keep it at arm's length, to ignore it, to circumvent it, to deny it. Suffering, be it physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual, is almost always experienced as an unwelcome intrusion into our lives, something that should not be there. It is difficult, if not impossible, to see anything positive in suffering. It must be avoided at all costs. When this indeed is our spontaneous attitude toward our brokenness, it is no surprise that befriending it, it seems at first to be somewhat masochistic. Still, my own pain in life has taught me that the first step to healing is not a step away from pain, but a step toward it. When brokenness, in fact, is in fact just as intimate a part of our being as our chosenness by God and our blessedness in him, we have to dare to overcome our fear and become familiar with it again. Yes, we have to find the courage to embrace our own brokenness, to make our most feared enemy into our friend, and to claim it as an intimate companion. And this is the part I really want you to listen to. This is the part I starred like three times. The deep truth is that our human suffering need not be an obstacle to joy and peace that we so desire, but it can become instead the means to it. I want to know Christ. To share in his what? Suffering. To become like him in his, in order to receive the abundant life, right? The great secret of the spiritual life, the life of the beloved sons and daughters of God, is that everything we live in, be it gladness or sadness, joy or pain, health or illness, can be part of the journey toward our full realization of our humanity as children of God. It is, not, it is not hard to say to one another, all that is good and beautiful leads us to the glory of being a child of God. It is very hard to say, but didn't you know that we all have to suffer and thus enter into our glory in that way, the same as Christ Jesus. Nonetheless, real care means the willingness to help each other make our brokenness as the gateway to joy. Hmm.
when I read through this idea of remaining in me in John 15. I also think of another Old Testament prophet. And I, and I think a little bit of, of just this, this, this idea of, of the way life worked for the Israelites. Did you know that God planned parties in the law? Not just small ones, big ones, okay? Week-long ones, okay? We, you know, we, we know them. Passover, Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles, where everybody basically camped out in the backyard of the temple for a week, okay? There were feasts all the way through the year. And you go, well... That seems kind of interesting. I don't seem to remember that much. You know, ha, you know. I mean, maybe you, maybe you've thought about it, but maybe you haven't thought about it in this term. Did you realize that throughout the year, all the way through their year, the people of God would have to stop what they were doing and actually celebrate what God was doing in their lives, whether it had been a great year, whether it had been a terrible year, whether it was a good day, whether it was a bad day. They had to stop everything and communally celebrate. Do you realize that celebration is not an escape from the situation of our lives? It is actually a spiritual discipline. Because it makes us thankful again. It makes us purposeful again. It's not having fun for having fun's sake. It is celebrating the goodness. I mean, that's what we're doing next week when we're all going up to this retreat and spending time together and hiking or just sitting and rocking in the lodge or, or, or doing a talent show or listening to Patrick. Whatever it is we're doing, we are celebrating the presence of God among us. We are stopping everything and saying, you are God, we are your children, we are dearly loved by you. And that brings us purpose. And we need those things. We need, that, we need that celebration as a discipline in order to help us be able to rise above our circumstances and be joyful. Through, for the Old Testament, for both the Old Testament and the New Testament, joy exists in the content of surrendering to God, whether it is in the good times or whether it is in the times of suffering. The Old Testament prophet I was thinking of is Habakkuk. And at the end of Habakkuk chapter 3, he, he literally says, I heard the noise and I trembled. And you're like, what noise is he talking about? It's the thundering hooves of the invading army. They're coming down the hill. They're coming in to destroy. They're coming in to kill. They're coming in to take away. They're coming in to bring us into exile. And he goes, I, I look around and there is famine everywhere. There's no figs on the trees. There's no fruit on the vine. There is, there is nothing to let me see the favor of God. And now the invading army is coming in on us. And I hear it and my heart is trembling in, inside of me. And he says, and yet I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. Right? Like he, he does the same thing that Jeremiah does. And what he ends up in saying is even with the hooves of the, even with the, hooves of the invading army trampling the ground and thundering the ground underneath my feet and ringing in my ears. I will rejoice in the Lord. 
for he is able to sustain me. That's probably one of the most powerful things that we can offer. You know, Paul, Paul would then turn around and say, Paul would then turn around and say, I've learned to be content in every circumstance. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We've heard that verse taken 7,000 different ways. But realistically, when you, when you bring that down, Paul is saying it from a jail cell, right? And he's saying, you know, many, many of the things that you experienced this week, right? Sleeping on the floor, going without food, wearing the same set of clothes, nothing to do but sit around and pray. And he says, here is the secret to being able to, to rejoice always, is that it is Christ who brings out this fruit in me. And I remain in him, and now I can do all things, even endure this, through Christ who strengthens me. I say all this, and and this is what I'm going to close with. The last sentence of that passage I read from Henry Nowen says this. We are given the ability as disciples of Jesus, to help others find through their brokenness the gateway to joy. Why has God given you the fruit of the Spirit of joy? Why has God poured His Spirit out into you and given you this peculiar ability to be purposeful, to be able to see things in, in, in context of the end, that no matter how good or how bad things are, everything is going to pass away, but God is going to be eternal, and you can stay stuck to him, and he is your father. He does love you, and he will take care of you. Why has God given us that peculiar perspective? Is it just for my benefit alone? No. What is fruit designed to do? To give sustenance, right? And to spread, right? Like why, 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 why do plants bear fruit? Is to, is, is to reproduce, right? Joy has been given to you and me, not just so that we can exist in a state of joyfulness. If, that, if, if we're chasing joy down to try and just have a joyful life for our own benefit, again, it will continue to elude us because joy is not found when I can grab a hold of it and keep it for myself. Joy is found when I am living out of the love of God. When, it, when Jesus says, follow my commands, and I have told you this, that you may have joy and have it to the full. What is, what is his command? He says it right, la- right later in John fifteen twelve. Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. Do you want to know how to experience the fullness of joy? Give yourself over to the love of God and give yourself over to the love of others the way that he has loved you. Joy does not exist for us. It exists for others. And that is why it is the most peculiar and powerful thing that a Christian can give to the world, that we can give to the world. I want you to think about that as we come to the table now. That Jesus poured himself out for us. He considered it joy. He considered the joy that was before him, and so he went to the cross. That does not mean that he enjoyed the experience of the cross. It means that the ability to spread his joy into you was worth it. 
And as we come and we partake of the cup and the bread, as we come and receive the joy of Christ into ourselves, how are we able to now go and give his joy to others? Amen? All right, let's stand and let's sing together.